Welcome to House Call, where we talk to investment bankers from Kane Brothers, a division of Key Bank Capital Markets Incorporated. I'm your host, Dave Johnson, the CEO of Foresight Health and the author of The Customer Revolution in Healthcare, delivering kinder, smarter, affordable care for all. I co-author a monthly thought leadership article with a rotating cast of senior bankers from Kane Brothers. In each piece, we do a deep dive on a fascinating sector of the dynamic healthcare industry. For the next few months, we're going on a road trip with a series called All Roads Lead to Value. The first leg of that journey is titled, What is a Health System Supposed to Be? My co-author, David Levine, is in the driver's seat on this piece. David is a director in the firm's health systems M&A practice. Welcome to House Calls, David, where the bankers are always in. It's great to be here. Appreciate it, Dave, and look forward to the conversation. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. All right, David, let's talk about the genesis of this article by starting with the title of our four-part series, All Roads Lead to Value. It comes from the old saying, all roads lead to Rome. In doing just enough research to be dangerous, we learned that that saying originated in the Middle Ages, centuries after the fall of Rome. At the time, the maxim was actually a geographical reality. Most of the major cities and roads in Europe had been built by the Roman Empire. One of the things I found fascinating was that to this day, those Roman era cities remain among the largest and most economically vibrant in Europe. And many of their major roads still do lead to Rome. So that just shows you the hold that history can have over us even to the present day. Of course, the saying now means that certain ideas or places or solutions are so central and inevitable that every decision you make, action you take, or road you follow leads to the same destination. This is what's happening in healthcare. The concept of value is becoming all-encompassing as the industry shifts toward risk-based contracting, greater accountability, and consumerism. Providers, notably hospitals, have built their business models on fee-for-service payment, which incentivizes volume over value. So the issue becomes not whether, but how health systems should adapt. So to start our conversation, David, let's pose a hypothetical question to hospital CEOs. I know it's one you like to ask. What is a hospital supposed to be? It's a great question, Dave. And you know, we've heard a lot of the industry, everyone talks about being at an inflection point. You know, this is the road to value is a long inflection point. It's been going on for a while, but we see investment after investment announcement across varying healthcare platforms, both from within health systems, external private equity firms, and the like. And it's just begging that question over and over. What are hospitals supposed to do? How do we compete in this new world? The per unit costs are too high in the hospital settings. Value pays for keeping people out of hospitals and healthy. So this question is really top of mind when, when I, we talk to a lot of our clients. Very well put, David. Interestingly, the COVID pandemic has turned out to be an accelerant in the shift to value. Tell us why. So it's an interesting dynamic. Obviously, COVID kept people away from the hospitals. And so it moved the idea of really caring, not for the disease, but for the person even more into the limelight. And that's really what happened during COVID. Hospitals and 
anything in the continuum of care really centered around how do we care for the person and not the disease because no one was coming into those doors. The importance of social determinants of health, population health, and the durability of integrated models, you know, capitated payment schemes versus the fee-for-service historical model, which didn't work in that COVID environment. All those things really came to light. I know that you've done some deep research into volume patterns at traditional hospitals and hospitals with insurance plans associated with them. What did you find? So we'll take a step back. You kind of look at EBITDA margins, and we'll just stick with that metric for a second because it's a pretty good indication of performance. But if you look at EBITDA margins across all health systems, health systems both with and without insurance arms, and in 2020, for those that were all the non-for-profit health systems that had reported data on a revenue-weighted basis, EBITDA margins were roughly in that seven to eight percent margin range, maybe a little bit lower for health systems with insurance arms versus without. But when you strip out the CARES dollars that all those hospitals and health systems received, the resulting EBITDA margin really stands apart. The ones with insurance arms, EBITDA margins fell to their around 6% range, so only about 2%. But hospitals and health systems without an insurance arm, their EBITDA margins fell almost 5%, if not more, depending on the scenario. So a real differentiation in performance when you think about as we move to a new value world, as you're incentivized to keep patients out of the hospital setting, if you think about the CARES dollars as a representation of that, margins drop dramatically for those that are not taking on that risk. Well, it makes sense, right? Because insurance comes up front and per member per month payments. And obviously, if you're doing procedures, payment comes for those as you do them or after the fact. So if you've got the upfront dollars to offset ups and downs in treatment volume, presumably you would weather a storm uh, more effectively. But that longer term trend that you described, which is a declining need for procedures inside hospitals, really speaks to a need to diversify revenue sources. So given that reality, how should health systems and hospitals adapt to the evolving market environment. In our article, we discussed five quote-unquote roads to value. The first of those is regional consolidation. Tell us about that strategy and why it makes sense for some health systems. Yeah, absolutely, David. It's a great question, and I think probably best described through an example. So if you think about a recent transaction that was announced with HCA selling a few of their hospitals in the Georgia market to Piedmont, um, that one really, really highlights this trend. So HCA is among the nation's most efficient hospital operators, and they do a great job, but they tend to exit markets where they lack sufficient scale to compete effectively. And there are regional health systems like Piedmont who have a strong market presence, and they're the ones who are buyers for those type of hospitals, and they look to increase their regional scale. And that increases Piedmont's ability to undertake and manage those risk-based contracts. You become a more efficient operator as you have more scale in a given market. You, there's obviously advantages with local payers and just the overall ability, again, as we move down this road to value, to take on more of that value element and that risk as you have more and more of a presence in any local one market. HCA certainly knows what it's doing. They actually made 
so much money during the pandemic that they gave back their CARES dollars, which almost no other health system, certainly no, not many, maybe not any not-for-profit health systems did. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about the second road to value, which is health systems that desire to directly embrace risk-based contracting. Uh, they do this either by acquiring or affiliating with a health insurance plan. Let's dig into that. Give us some insight. Yeah, absolutely. If you think about health systems, you know we talked a little bit about margins for health systems with and without an insurance arm. And there are a number of health systems. Take, for example, Centera, a large Virginia-based health system. And they have a, a fairly sizable insurance arm called Optima Health. And they've been in that business for quite some time. You know, there are a handful of other health systems around the country that have been in the insurance industry for quite some time, taking, taking on that element uh, of the healthcare continuum and that portion of the risk. And so there are those that are in the business today and are, continue to do well and have to adapt as the world changes. And then there are those health systems that are getting into the business for the first time in different ways. As we talk about the road to value, obviously everyone zeroes in on Medicare Advantage. So let's stick with that for a second. You look at Medicare Advantage, take a health system like Cone Health in the, in the Greensboro, North Carolina market. They took the ownership route. They developed their own Medicare Advantage health plan called Health Team Advantage. And they've been doing a great job in that market. That's one path. Other health systems, and we could stick with the North Carolina market, take Duke. They formed a joint venture with Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina to form Experience Health. And that's a new Medicare Advantage plan jointly owned by both of those, Duke Health System and Blue Cross Blue Shield North Carolina, to offer that product in that market. Or take a third way, maybe even a sort of a step back from that and a co more of a co-branding element. Take Montefiore um, in New York and Oscar Health. And they've co-branded a Medicare Advantage plan in that market. So there are a number of different ways that health systems are doing that, all with the mindset of looking to embrace risk and take it head on as this world changes to value. Really good point. There are many different ways to take on this type of contracting risk. But at the end of the day, all the roads lead to some form of vertical integration. And you see with some companies, Kaiser Permanente, for example, they're actually more health insurance company than they are delivery system. So we're seeing it from the other side too, that uh, health insurance companies, particularly traditional health insurance companies are figuring out how to provide care so that they can sort of play in the vertical integration game as well. So the market really is coming at risk-based contracting from both sides. So road number three is one where health systems employ strategic partnerships to enhance their service platforms this strategy provides a rationale for the diverse range of joint ventures that we're seeing in the marketplace, post-acute care to home health, to food and nutrition, to telehealth, and so on. What's going on? Yeah, this is an interesting one and one that I know we've talked about before. But as you think about value, in order to help manage that person, that person is not just coming in for one type of thing. That You have to manage across the entire continuum of care. and no health system in our experience that we found to date does everything across the continuum of care in the best possible way. There are companies out there 
that do provide certain areas of care across that continuum, they are experts. That is their sole focus, their sole purpose is to provide that level of care across certain sub-verticals within the continuum of care. Take urgent care, take home health, for example. There are operators like Accent Care, who recently formed a joint venture partnership with Fairview Health Services up in the Minnesota region, large multi-billion dollar health system. They had their own home health and hospice business line. As a multi-billion dollar health system, they can't focus on everything. And the smaller business line that they have for home health and hospice, such a core element of caring for a person in that value-based world, but that wasn't their area of expertise. So they sought out a partner whose sole focus was home health and hospice, and they aligned on a partnership with Accent Care. On the urgent care side, similar situation, just different industry, Trinity Health. Trinity Health sought out an urgent care partner whose sole focus is that sub-vertical, and they formed a partnership with Premier in the urgent care space. And that's what we see health systems doing. Advocate Aurora recently made an investment in FoodSmart on the nutrition side, or Senior Helpers also on the home health side. They're looking to partners who have an expertise that the health system doesn't have for that level of care in a value-based world. But to loop it all together, you need that clinical visibility across that continuum. So if you don't have the area of expertise in one service line, you find the partner that does, but you wrap it around your full continuum of care. So you have that visibility across the patient, across that person, across that covered life, so that you're able to provide that value-based care. And that's really an interesting thing that we're seeing more and more of as we progress in this kind of environment. Well, it just makes so much sense, right, David? But it's not really a new strategy, except to healthcare systems who have traditionally wanted to be all things to all patients, but are discovering they really can't do that. You know, for example, when I go into our local Target store, what do I see? A CVS pharmacy. Target got out of the pharmacy business and partnered with CVS because CVS was better at it and it ends up being just a great thing for both sides. And I think health systems are waking up to the fact that it's better to divide and conquer and have companies be a part of your platform in a cohesive way so you can do a better job for customers. Why not? It's why Target did what it did with CVS. Why shouldn't health systems do the same thing for their customers. It brings us into this whole concept of brand. And as you move into the consumer-oriented businesses, brand becomes intensely important. So let's talk about what a brand does for a health system and how do brand-aware companies use their new service offerings to strengthen their market positions? Yes, it's a great question, Dave. And I think it just, it, it kind of crosses over into the area that we just explored around uh, having partners that provide certain areas of expertise. But when you elevate that discussion, it's what what am I? What am I as a health system to all those around me? And that's really that brand component that you just brought up. What is my organizational identity, if you will? And how does that get communicated to our customers? What's my value proposition in a consumer-based world? And it's got to be consistent and seamless across my entire platform. And obviously, the bigger the platform, the harder that is to implement. But it's just so important to ensure that there is that consistency across the brand. So if you go out and find a partner, you want to make sure that they're still delivering on that brand that you have in your marketplace. Let's take an example again, the Cleveland Clinic. They spent a long time and a ton of work around their branding and how they distinguish themselves 
on a truly global basis, not just in the U.S. healthcare, but around the world. And it's backed up by time and time again, proven practices. And I think that that's such an important element. They've established themselves as, quote, a patient's first brand, emphasizes their clinical expertise. So when you think of Cleveland Clinic, you automatically think of clinical expertise providing complex care solutions. And they've developed that brand over time. And I think that that's going to be such an important element in that road to value. When you think about consumerism, you think about brands. You mentioned Target just a second ago, Dave. They have a certain brand recognition in a certain market. And that's what more and more health systems are going to be doing. And then as they take on partnerships, so the Cleveland Clinic, on a digital basis, partnered up with Anwell, a Boston-based telemedicine company, to launch that digital health platform. But they need to do it in such a way where it captures and continues the brand that the Cleveland Clinic has established. So we're going to just see more and more of that as we move into more of a consumer-based world. Wow, so much to unpack there. I amplify what you're saying, David, by uh, saying that when you've got a great brand, it not only answers the question, what are we? It also answers the question, who are we? It provides a why as well as a what, a purpose for the organization. So when you were describing the Cleveland Clinic and everything they've done to truly put patients first, it becomes almost a guiding principle for people on the front lines to determine, okay, what should I do? Well, we always put patients first. What does that mean now? And it works its way back, bottom up through the entire organization and becomes a self-reinforcing principle, incredibly powerful. And I think too many health systems have been in the what business and not in the why business, despite a lot of very lofty statements of purpose and mission and so on. Our final road to value, David, is one where health systems establish themselves as segment experts. For example, MD Anderson has become synonymous with cancer care, not only in their home Houston market, but as they've partnered with other health systems outside of Houston. Why don't you talk a little bit about that segment expertise strategy and give us maybe a lesser known example or two of how that is manifesting itself in the marketplace. Absolutely. So I think that, you know, me being based in New York, it's more known to me, maybe a little bit less known nationally, but they certainly do have a have a national reputation. That's the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. That's built a gold-plated reputation for providing very, very high-end bone injury, joint replacement, orthopedic type care. And it's really become a destination for that type of orthopedic care. I think as we talked about this whole theme around the road to value and that You can't be everything to everybody. And so one of those options in this road to value is let's be something really specialized to those that need it. Let's be something for somebody, not everything to everybody. And that's where I think some of these health systems that have that certain area of expertise, we'll see more of them move and really just zero in on that in this value world. Let them be that expert. And so I think that that's just another path on this road to value that some health systems may take. My favorite segment expert is the Shouldice Hernia Center in Toronto. They have become the world's experts on hernia treatments to the point where they have reunions for people that got their hernias done at the same time and so on. And so when you think of hernias, you think of Shouldice. And how powerful is that, you know, when you're the hospitals for special surgery, joints are us or MD Anderson as a leader in cancer care, 
you automatically have goodwill built in the marketplace that steers volume your way. And again, it, back to our last strategy, it often provides a why both for yourself and for those looking to purchase your services in the marketplace. Awesome. Well, we've taken five roads to value. Uh, we're not saying these are the only roads to value or that they're exclusive. In fact, most health systems will employ a combination of these strategies. But what we are saying is that it's time for hospitals and health systems to proactively reposition themselves to compete in markets shaped by consumerism, price competition, and value-based metrics on outcomes, cost, quality, and consumer experience. Hospitals and health systems, providers overall need to be much more accountable for the care that they deliver and the prices that they charge for that care. How do you think hospital CEOs should frame this strategic debate within their organizations to move it forward and achieve a positive result? It's a great question. And I'll frame up a few questions that I think we're hearing, we're talking to some CEOs and how they're thinking about it. And again, there's no one answer. There's no one size fits all. But CEOs, boards, they need to be asking themselves, what are we really good at? Who are our customers? How can we improve patient access and outcomes? What legacy are we building from and towards? You know, it goes back, Dave, you mentioned the mission elements uh, that a lot yep. of these health systems have. Mission is so critical in the health system world that we live in, eat, live, and breathe, not-for-profits. They're all about mission. That's what drives them. And so you think about that. You think about what legacy, what's their mission that they're building off of? What roads are already there? historical and new roads that they're building. What are the relationships to the patients we serve? How do we align their purpose and value and ultimately accelerate this transformation that we're seeing? It's obviously taking a while to play out on the road to value. But as I mentioned early on, investment after investment, announcement after announcement that's being made in the healthcare space is just pushing this more and more towards this value-based world. And so I think we're going to see more and more of that. And so these are some of the questions that I think hospital CEOs need to be thinking about as they explore their options. I'm so glad you brought up this concept of mission. I think the worst thing an organization can do is say it does one thing and then actually do something else. So many health systems say they put patients first. I actually believe the Cleveland Clinic really does, and that's incredibly powerful. But many say they put patients first and actually don't. They're chasing volume or looking to optimize margins or, or, or. It's not doing ultimately what's in the best interest of the patient. And I think what the road to value ultimately means for the healthcare marketplace is doing what's right for the consumers of healthcare services in America. And in many ways, we've ended up with a system because of the perverse price incentives that optimizes revenues to some extent at the expense of patient care. And that just can't really happen anymore. We ultimately have to do the right thing for consumers. So when we're talking about value and consumerism and risk-based contracting and accountability, partnerships, all these other things that we've discussed, there are many ways to get to the final destination, but that destination is value and is truly serving your consumers in the best way possible. But I can't let you get away without asking you, particularly given the discussion we've just had, to give us one bold prediction 
for the coming year or beyond in healthcare. What's something you're seeing that maybe others aren't? I wish my prediction could be that we see all the health systems taking road A, B, C, D, or E, but that's obviously not going to be the case. I'm not that much of a fortune teller to say that's the road that we see taking. Obviously, a number of options in front. But I do ultimately think that with the disintermediation of fee-for-service and value-based care, it's going to cause continued consolidation in the hospital industry. That's not the bold prediction. But maybe I would say the top 25 health systems, they're going to control, I think, more than 75% of the revenue that's generated in that hospital setting within the next 10 years. I just I see that happening. Whatever road health systems decide to take, ultimately, we see a further consolidation and there's going to be fewer and fewer major players. And those major players are going to be controlling more and more of the revenue that's generated in the hospital setting. Do you think we'll see the emergence of truly national health systems as this consolidation unfolds? I think we will. There are those that exist today, and I think that there will continue to be more and more of it, especially as you can bring on operational expert partners for specific things. You can then say, focus on bigger picture things, elevate the discussion at the executive level, and focus on really how do we provide all of this, this road to value? How do we provide the best patient experience across our platforms, which involves so many other component parts to it. I think that's why we'll just see more and more of that at the national scale. I think you're right. But as that happens, it's going to break down what I believe is a myth that all healthcare has to be local. It has to be delivered locally, but there's nothing that prevents a national system from standardizing procedures in such a way that they can deliver great care in local markets all over the country. We certainly see it in so many other aspects of the American marketplaces. So I think it's going to come to healthcare too, and we'll see some other myths probably destroyed along the way as well. Well, David, I can't thank you enough. This has been a fun, wide-ranging discussion. I'd encourage our listeners to read the article that supports this discussion. What is a health system supposed to be? In the next three articles and podcasts from this series, we will explore how other industry segments are making their individual road to value journeys. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep doing what you do to make our health system kinder, smarter, and more accessible and affordable for all.